Well, let's turn to Proverbs 28. I want us to consider just one proverb here tonight. Proverbs 28:13. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who, he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. He who conceals, or the uh, King James says covers, he who covers his transgression will not prosper. There's really just two groups of people in the world. Those who cover their sins and those who confess and forsake their sins. All people are sinners, but some shall not prosper, while others shall find compassion. I think it's good to note that the, the comparison here, the contrast, is not between those who commit great sins and those who commit small sins. It's between sins covered and sins confessed and forsaken. If we conceal even small sins, if we cover even small sins, we'll not prosper. On the other hand, it's good to remember, if we confess and forsake even great sins, we shall find compassion. God delights to cover sin, but we must uncover it. There's a big difference between us covering our sins and God covering our sins. If we cover our sins, it only compounds the sin. If God covers our sins, He cancels and cleanses our sin. So there's a big difference between who does the covering, God or us. David in the psalm, gives his personal testimony of the difference between us covering our sins and God covering them. So let's turn to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. And we'll start reading with verse 3, although we'll end up in verse 1. But in verse 3 he says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. So there, there he is covering his sin, keeping silent about him. I acknowledged my sin to thee, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And then look at this. And thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. Just like that. He confessed and God God covered his sin. And that's how he starts the psalm. Look at uh, back at verse 1. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. See, David didn't cover it. God covered it. He tells what happened when he tried to cover it. His body wasted away. But when... When he confessed it, then God covered it. And he says, how blessed is that condition. 
to have your sins covered by God. So I want to ask you, each one of you here tonight, what are some of the ways that people use to to cover their sins? Or I could even make it more personal. What are some of the way, ways you, you have used to cover your sins? Well, let's just do it in general if you don't want to talk about the personal part. <laughs> I want answers. <laughs> Lying. I heard that one. What else? All right, just kind of making it not so bad. Blaming somebody else. Exactly. Blaming somebody else. There's a big one. Eve tried that. What was it? Denying? Is that what you said? Denying? Just that there is no... I I didn't sin. Okay. Making excuses. Yep, that's a good one. Murder? Okay. Oh, okay. Trying to cover it. Yeah, that's right. Getting rid of the evidence or the one that could testify against you. All right. All right. Trying to, trying to cover it up through a bunch of good works. Rationalizing. Okay. That's good. Yeah, you got most all of them that I had down here. I might have worded them a little different, but uh, just looking through my list. I'd say one of the biggest ones today in our society in general is just saying there is no such thing. No sin, because there's no God. No God, no moral standard, no moral standard, no sin. I wrote down changing changing its name, but I think that's kind of been implied by some that have already been uh, mentioned. Well, those are those are good. I mean, they're bad, but they're good. It's not uh, what we should be doing. Trying to conceal or cover our sins through these uh, various methods. God, of course, sees right through all these coverings, all these excuses. I mean, what are you going to hide from God? In fact, uh, Hebrews 4.13 says, All things are naked and open before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. You're not going to cover anything up uh, before God. All we do is multiply our guilt by trying to cover our sin. You just make things worse. not only makes things worse, it keeps us from the only thing that can make things better, which is God. If you cover your sins, you're not gonna, God's not going to cover them. Keeps you from the, keeps you from the only thing. You might say it this way. By covering the disease, we keep ourselves from the cure. Get it out there in the open where it can be dealt with by God. The only way we truly cover our sins 
is to uncover them before God. That's the point of the whole message. The only way we can truly cover our sins is to uncover them before God. That's what confession is. Now, you're not telling God anything He doesn't already know. God knows, but He wants us to own up to our guilt. Confessing sin is not informing God. It is agreeing with God. One writer by the name of Charles Bridges said, this was in his commentary on this verse, he said, God needs not our confession for his own information, but he demands it for our good. We've just got to own up to the true facts of the case. I'm, I'm at fault. I'm responsible. I'm the sinner. God's right. I'm wrong. Now, there's one great attribute, one great characteristic that keeps us from that. What do you think that is? Pride? Exactly. Pride keeps us from that. Humility confesses. Pride hides. Confession, though, is the wise thing to do. It's the right thing to do. It's actually the rational thing to do. If we just thought it through, we'd know this is the right thing to confess it before God. The one who's told us that he'll cover it, that we can find compassion. You know, we're told when the prodigal son came to his senses, he said, what in the world am I doing here? This is about the stupidest thing I've ever done. That's what he was saying. He came to his senses. Augustine said this. He said, Before God can deliver us, we must undeceive ourselves. Now, that's true, but ultimately it's the Holy Spirit working in us that undeceives ourselves. But nevertheless, it's, it's coming to your senses. It's realizing this this was foolish, what I've done. We have to put aside all the lies and excuses that we use to try to cover up our sin and just come to God humbly, honestly. He who confesses and, and it says, and forsakes, that's part of it. He who confesses and forsakes shall find compassion. One Christian writer said, God has never promised to forgive a single sin that man is not willing to forsake. I mean, we don't just come to God and say, I'm sorry, I confess that sin, within the back of our mind thinking at the same time, but I'm going to go right back and do it again. You've got to have the attitude, I want to be done with this. That's part of confession. I want to be done with this. God, 
cause me to be done with this sin. Help me to be done with this sin. So it says, he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Confession is to take God's side against sin. Against sin. That's what you do when you truly confess and forsake. You say, I'm against this thing. I don't want this thing. So you put aside all those excuses. So true confession is much more than remorse or regret. It involves renouncing. Using some human terms here, just kind of putting it in a human pers- uh, perspective here, we could say that God is just waiting for this moment when we come to our senses and confess and forsake our sin so that he can show himself compassionate. Now, he's compassionate all the time, but to show himself compassionate, he's waiting for that time where we're, when he hears that confession, that agreement with him. Just saying, you're right, God, and I'm wrong. So confession is taking God's side against sin. Now again, the, the picture there is so good in, in the example of the prodigal son. Why don't we turn to that? Luke chapter 15. That, that father was just waiting, waiting, waiting till his son came to his senses. Let's just look at it here. We won't read the whole uh, parable here, but just uh, beginning with verse 17. And when he, that is the prodigal son, the sinning son, when he had come to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger, right there in the pig, pig pen, I will go, I will go up and go to my father's house, I will get up and go to my father's house and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your side. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father. But this is the part I wanted to get to. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. He was still a long way off, you see. But he was moving towards the Father. He had come to his senses. He'd confessed. He'd forsaken. He'd, he'd left the pig pen. I'm sure he still, he probably stunk like the pigs yet. Probably still had mud all over him. But when he was still a long way off, the Father saw him and ran The point is, is that God is just waiting to show himself compassionate for those that will confess and forsake their sins. It's a wonderful picture. God does not hold on to his anger, but instantly forgives and grants reconciliation. That's what we saw back there in Psalm 32. Uh, it's just so quickly in the verse. I acknowledge my sin to thee, and my iniquities I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and thou dost forgive the guilt 
of my sin. Thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. Just like that. Now I think it's important to emphasize because this is just one verse. It can't have all the truth wrapped up in one verse. It's important to realize that it's not our confession and forsaking that covers our sins. It's the blood of Christ. God forgives. God's forgiveness is on the basis of the the satisfaction of justice. God's forgiveness is on the basis of the satisfaction of justice. Confessing and forsaking sin does not satisfy justice. Let me just give you an example. Here's a criminal. He says, yes, I did murder that man and I'm never going to murder anyone else. He confessed and he forsook his sin. Did that satisfy justice? No, it didn't. Sin must be punished. But in the gospel we see that Christ has fully satisfied the claims of justice. Christ has fully satisfied all the justice that's demanded for every sin as we confess and forsake them. How did he do that? He took the punishment. He took the punishment for that sin. He took it upon himself on the cross. He covers our sin by bearing the guilt of our sin in himself on himself. Let's look at 1 John. Beginning in chapter 1 and verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, that's confessing your sins, walk, just acknowledging the truth. We have fellowship. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So the blood cleanses us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous or just. He's he's faithful and just, faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then if you look down in chapter 2, verse 2, he himself is the propitiation of our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. He's the propitiation for our sins. His blood is what takes away our sins. Propitiation, that's a big word. It means a sacrifice that bears God's wrath against sin. A sacrifice that takes God's wrath against sin and brings God's favor. All in that one word. It's a sacrifice that bears God's guilt, that bears God's wrath against sin and brings His favor. Jesus puts it this way. Well, actually, this is in Hebrews. It says, He put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. He put it away by the sacrifice of Himself. See, it's not our confession 
It's not our forsaking. It's what Christ did in our acknowledgement of what he did by faith. He put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So, in closing, I want us to consider the picture that's given to us in the Old Testament of, of what we're talking about here. And that is the Ark of the Covenant and what's, what was over the Ark of the Covenant, covenant was the mercy seat. Covering the ark, talking about having our sins covered, was the mercy seat. Now I want to explain this a little bit to the children. The Ark of the Covenant was a big box. Actually, I was thinking, if you took this podium here and made it into a big box, this is about the size of the ark, and then you turned it on its side, you know, turned it over, that would be about the size of the ark. Ark's another name for a box. And that box had a lid on it. And that lid was called the mercy seat. Now, it was a lot fancier than this. For one thing, it was covered with gold. And the lid was solid gold. Um, and inside that box were certain things that were very important to the Hebrew people. The main thing was the the stone tablets that God wrote the Ten Commandments on. So that was in it. This was a heavy box. By the time you get it covered with gold, put these stone tablets in there. Then there was some of the manna that God gave, and there was uh, a stick that Aaron had, an old dead stick that he had, that God caused the bud to come back to life as a dead stick. So those were important things to the Jewish people. They were in that box. But the main thing I think God wanted to emphasize and teach through this box was just that the, the, the law that we have broken, which is what we do when we sin, there was a covering over that, and that was called the mercy seat. At least that's the way the English translations have taken that word. But the actual word means propitiatory it comes from that same word propitiation now why is that important because it has to do with turning away God's wrath by a sacrifice because on that in that box where the law was covered with the mercy seat only once a year the priest could come in and sprinkle blood on that that was the day of atonement that's when the people could have their sins forgiven the Day of Atonement. So once a year, only the high priest could come into this area, it was called the Holy of Holies, and sprinkle blood on that mercy seat, that covering. So what was God teaching in all that? He was teaching that we need, we need the blood to cover our sins. We need, we need a sacrifice that will turn away God's wrath and bring us into his favor. Let's turn back to this because it's better to read it than me to try to explain it. Exodus 25 and verse 16. And you shall put into the ark the testimony which I shall give you. That was a 
Ten Commandments. And you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long, cubit was 18 inches, and one and a half cubits wide. And then it tells a little bit more about how that should be made. And in verse 21, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony which I shall give you. Now here's what I want us to get. And there I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in, in commandments for the sons of Israel. So he says, here's the place. Here's the place where I'll meet with you. Here's the place where I'll speak with you. At this place where the blood has been applied. At this place where the law is covered over. At this place where there's been a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. And he's, what's he talking about? He's talking about Christ. It's all about Christ, what he's done for us. He's that sacrifice. He's that mercy seat. And so it's a beautiful picture of, of what we've been looking at here. When, when God says, if you confess your sins and forsake them, you'll find compassion. I'll cover those sins if you confess and forsake them. And he does it through the blood of Christ. That lid didn't really cover the broken law, but the blood of Christ did. He himself was a propitiation for our sins. He fully answers all the demands of the law, covers our transgressions, and opens the way into communion with God. God's presence is at the place where sin is propitiated, right above the mercy seat. And that's where we find God through the blood of Christ. Well, in closing, I just say this. Never view any sin as so trifling as not to need the covering of the blood of Christ. There's every sin, it doesn't matter how small it is, it needs Christ. It needs the blood of Christ to cover it. But also, never view any sin as too great for the atoning blood of Christ. Yeah. Nothing is too great for God to forgive through Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So, he who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them shall find compassion. <laughs>